Morning. This uh, Sunday, December the 18th, is our final Sunday of Advent. If you've been with us for these last few weeks, we're celebrating Advent. And this morning I want to look at this one idea, one of the four big ideas in Advent, the idea of peace, peace, the announcement of peace. And I want to do that from Luke chapter 2, so if you have a copy of the Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 2, which is when in the place in the Bible where God sent angels, very famous passage, to the shepherds working the night shift in the outskirts of Bethlehem where Jesus was born, to make an announcement that the Jewish people had been waiting for for over a thousand years, the announcement of the birth of the Messiah. So if you have a copy of the Bible, look at these very familiar verses this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, in a message titled, A Promised Peace. A Promised Peace. Follow along as I read these words. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, that is Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, these are, I think, arguably the most famous words, the passages, the most famous Christmas passage of all of the Gospels, preached in Sundays like this, Christmas Eve services, etc., here in America and around the world for hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years. 1965... You know, the grandparents or great-grandparents or some of us in this room who remember 1965. 1965, these very seven verses that I just read were beamed into every household in America in the Peanuts special. Okay, these very words. And since 1965 at least on network television, if you know what that means anymore, network television. It's the longest, second longest running Christmas special in the history of television Christmas specials. Only second to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which I don't think has any Bible verses in it last I knew. Okay? Now, in 2020, just two years ago, Apple, the Apple Corporation, bought the rights to the Peanut special, right? Just like companies like Apple have been buying, you know, the rights to other great musicians, Bob Dylan, you know, uh, Neil Young, the Beatles, right? They buy these great catalogs because they're worth something. Apple Computer bought the rights to the Peanuts special in 2020, but put it behind a paywall, right? But outraged Peanuts fans in 2020 uh, 
put, spun up a social media campaign and demanded that the great Apple Corporation take, release the peanut special from the behind the paywall and put it back on free TV, which they did. Okay, isn't that something? However, that being said, I haven't seen the peanut special in a while. Okay, those, the larger meanings, my point of this morning's sermon, the larger meaning of those seven verses that we just read, peace on earth, on whom God's favor rests this great announcement, the larger meaning of those verses, which have been lifted often out of their context, right? People watch the peanut special, they may not read the rest of Luke chapter 2, right? They lifted out of their context, that larger meaning has been lost, on much of the general public, this meaning, this announcement of peace, and perhaps on many churchgoers like you and me. So I want to take the time I have left to try to answer the question, what is this promised peace? Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. couple things. Number one, I would suggest to you, this peace is not what you first think it is. Or at least in conversations that I have with people, many outside the church, but some in the church, that read these verses, that come to a Christmas message, maybe watch the Peanuts special, and say, what does this mean? The great announcement of peace, the angels, the host of heaven, making this announcement, first to shepherds, the end to everyone else, that peace has come. This peace is not, perhaps, what you think it is. What do I mean by that? Well, it's not political peace. It's not international peace, peace between, you know, between um, uh, countries, peace between factions, peace between you know, the states, etc. It's not the end of war. It's not the end of conflict. It's not the end of division. If that was the case, if that's what this announcement was, that finally, in a world that's always been at war with itself, the angels come, peace on earth. It's going to be the end of conflict, the end of division, the end of war, right? If that was the great announcement... It had been proved wrong by history, not only the history of the first century, but the 2,000 years since then. But even more importantly than being proved wrong by history, it was contradicted by the very words of the adult Jesus in this same gospel, but in others, when Jesus was asked about this very question. In fact, Luke 19, but it's in other gospels as well, just one example. The disciples of Jesus, they're walking by the great temple. And when you see the Bible in the, in the New Testament, we're talking about the temple, you know, that Jesus around in Jerusalem. It's what we would call historically the second temple. The first temple, it, it, it was built by Solomon, David's son. It was this magnificent, beautiful, architectural, uh, uh, amazing thing done a thousand years before the life of Jesus. That temple was burned and destroyed uh, by the Babylonians in the 6th century, if you know your Old Testament history. A humble little temple was rebuilt, Ezra Nehemiah in the Old Testament, but then Herod the Great, one of the great you know, um, you know, uh, leaders, egomaniacs you might say, who had a great building projects, many of them 
to really, you might say, uh, boost his own image, boost his own legacy, Herod the Great. And one of them, many would say his masterpiece, was, was really taking that humble little second temple built in Ezra and Nehemiah's time and turning it into the, one of the greatest architectural uh, works ever in the first century in that season of uh, our history, of the world's history. It was massive. It took 46 years to build. And he didn't have, you know, a couple contractors there. He had the, all of the, you know, the, the, the Roman uh, money, the taxes, and all kinds of people building this project for 46 years. And the disciples of Jesus were walking by it. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels. And they say to Jesus, as they're going, they're seeing this temple that had just been completed. And they say, Jesus, look at these stones. Aren't they impressive? And what they meant by the stones were, not little stones on the ground, but these massive stones, the size of a building, like in the pyramids, these huge stones with no mortar that were made the side walls of this temple. They said, Jesus, look at these stones. And Jesus said, he predicted the siege of Jerusalem. He said, my friends, the day is coming very soon. Well, they will, put an, they, they will bring an embankment around Jerusalem. They will hem you in. They will take your children and they will destroy this city and not one stone will be left on another. This beautiful, magnificent thing that you see in the very near future will be torn to the ground. Okay? And that's exactly what happened about 30 years later. It's not political peace. It's not international peace. Listen, that's being announced here. It's also not... An inner peace, right? right? I mean, the, the Bible talks about this, the peace of God that guards your heart and mind from worry. Now, that's an important thing, and I would say if you have received the gospel in your life, the more you allow the gospel to do a work in your life, the more what we would call a true inner peace will be yours and will be mine. This is a promise in the New Testament. But that's not what's being talked about here. It's not an international peace. It's not the end of war. It's not the end of conflict. It's not the end of division. It's not an inner peace. What the announcement of peace is talking about here is a peace with God. Not a peace between human beings, one and another, primarily. Not a peace between countries. Not a peace between individuals. It's a peace between me and God. Between you and God. Between people and God. It's a peace in place of alienation that we come into this world, you and me, between you, me, and God. A peace in place of hostility that is the natural extension of the holiness of God. Okay? It's the natural extension of the holiness of God. We forget, we don't know. That the God that we serve, the God that made the universe, the God that made you, the God that made me, he is holy. The Bible says he lives in unapproachable light. That's why when people see him, Old Testament, New, they fall to their ground as a dead man. That's what happened to Moses. That's what happened to Joshua. That's what happened to Isaiah. That's what happened to great John in the book of Revelation. They get in the presence of God and they fall down before him. Listen, not because God's a scary person. Because he's a holy person. Even here, verse 9, the angel of the Lord, 
Who's the angel of the Lord? It could be Jesus himself. It could be an angel sent from God. But it's a sinless being like God. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, speaking of the shepherds, thrilled. No, they weren't thrilled. They were terrified. They were terrified. Well, why would you be terrified? Angels aren't terrible-looking beings. But they're sent from God. And they're holy. Okay, they're holy. Listen, the fact that God became a human being, form, in this case, a baby in a manger, that in itself is worthy of a great announcement, which is what this is. I mean, it's a miracle. It's unprecedented. It's the beginning of, uh, of the, the glorious end that God would finally come and take on human form to be our Savior. That itself is worthy of a great announcement. But the promised peace in these verses is not connected to the baby, but who the baby would become. The innocent Savior who died for the sins of the world. This announcement's about peace with God because every single person comes into the world and they're alienated from God, right? They are alienated from God. Romans 5.10, listen to these words. Paul writes this later in the New Testament. For if, he's making the same point I'm making, while we were God's enemies, same before you were a Christian, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I mean, it's a sober reality. But the peace, international peace, maybe we'll get there someday when Jesus comes back. Inner peace, the gospel gives us this. But the peace that's underneath all other peace, the foundation of peace is peace with God because we come into the world alienated from God. Listen, according to Romans 5.10, you and I and every single person, because of our sin, are God's enemies it's a sober reality but this is what this message says is that god loved you so much god loved me so much god loved humanity so much he said listen yes because of my holiness all sinners in a sense are in a hostile relationship with me there's nothing they can do they're helpless they're hopeless religion's not going to change it a haircut's not going to change it turning over a new leaf's going to change it they need something fun they need someone else to deal with the problem of separation from God. I'm going to send my son into the world. And yes, the, the, the baby in the manger is a beautiful story. But the announcement of peace is about who he would become. He would become a sinless, sacrificial savior who did not open his mouth. Who did allow people to accuse him. Who did nothing wrong but stretched out his arms and took a bullet for you. And took a bullet for me. So that the alienation that I deserve, that you deserve, the hostility that I deserve, that you serve, because I'm a sinner, could be ultimately satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what this piece is about. If this announcement, which I'm re-announcing today, right, peace on earth, on those whom his favor rests is going to be a source of good news in your life, a cause for great joy in your life, it must be experienced 
through the gospel in line with the primary purpose it was sent, right? It's peace with God. All other peace, right? All other peace that we might experience. Let's be peacemakers and let's experience the peace of God. All of the peace stems from this fundamental peace with God that was achieved by the Lord Jesus. Second thing this passage tells us. Number one, this peace, it's not what you think it is. Second, it requires humility. It's very important. Christians and non-Christians. It requires humility. The birth of Jesus, I didn't read it. It's the first few verses in Luke 2. It's as average as it comes in the first century. In other words, it's very undecorated. While they were there, verse 6, the time came for the baby to be born, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. That's it. No decoration. This birth, as it's described in Luke 2, was, couldn't be more every day about the birth of Jesus, as it's described here in Luke chapter 2. More than twice the amount of press or words in this chapter are given not to the birth of Jesus, but given to what at first seems secondary, which is the shepherds, right? All these verses, 8 through 20, talking about the shepherds. Now, why is that? Many, you know, Bible student scholars would say they belong in the story. Many say the shepherds, right? We're celebrating them. You know, uh, the famous passage we just read. Because they point to Jesus later, who is the good shepherd. So later we find in the, in the Bible, later in the gospel, the, the adult Jesus, he's called the good shepherd. And that goes all the way back to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. And there's God is being seen as a shepherd. So many would say part of the reason that the shepherds are the only ones that got the angel visit, right? No one else got the angel visit, was because the shepherds point to the good shepherd who is Jesus. But more importantly, I would suggest to you, Right? This peace requires humility to be experienced for Christians and non-Christians. More importantly, the shepherds get this message because they belong on Jesus' guest list for the kingdom of God. They're the kinds of people that belong on the guest list for the kingdom of God. It's a famous parable that Jesus gives. It's also in the book of Luke. It's the great wedding banquet. And he's pointing to the great banquet that's going to happen at the end of time. Revelation 19, where the body of Christ comes together in the, in the supper of the Lamb, the conclusion of the matter. Who's going to be at that banquet? And Jesus gives this parable. And he says, listen, when you have a banquet, when you, Luke, I think it's Luke 14, when you have a banquet, when you call people together, he says, disciples, little humble church, this is what I want you to do. Don't invite the important people. Don't invite the people on the who's who list. Don't invite people that you know can pay you back the favor, who can invite you, who can put you on a list, who will do you a favor. Don't invite people who can scratch your back. That's the way the world works, but don't you do that. When you give a banquet, like the one God's going to give at the end of time, I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's who you should invite. And if you do that, you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The shepherds represent the kind of people, here's the point, 
who respond to the message with an open heart and enthusiasm. Verse 16, watch this. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the babies, the shepherds, who was, lying in the, in the, who was lying in the manger, Jesus, the baby. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They represent the kind of people, doesn't mean you have to be a shepherd, but the kind of people who respond to the message with an open heart. Listen, just as it was providence that the shepherds received the message from the angels, right? I don't think this was a mistake. God has a plan. God God sovereignly is working out his plan. This is thousands of years in the making. So just as it was God's providence, right, God's choice that the shepherds would first hear the message from the angels, it was God's providence that everyone else would hear the message from the shepherds, right, in this story. Think about that. They're not the most important people. They're not the people of power. They're not on the who's who's list. The shepherds. This is how God planned it. They're pretty unspectacular. There's people that have said to me in so many words, I don't know about your friends, I'll believe the gospel when God sends me an angel. Right? When God sends me an angel from heaven, or in other words, somebody really important, maybe a celebrity, maybe a sports star, maybe some exemplar uh, 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 Christian, I don't know the case maybe. When God sends me the messenger is important, maybe he sends me an angel, I'll listen. And here's what I would say to you and me. He's not going to send you one. He's not going to send you an angel. And if you think about your own testimony, probably the person who shared the gospel with you in a manner of speaking was not a spectacular person, right? It's not about the messenger. In fact, the messengers, here's the point, the messengers' imperfections are part of God's plan. Why would that be? Why would God give them shepherds, the sort of nobodies in this culture, the angelic vision that no one would deny if you saw this great vision, the heavenly host, angels in the sky, blow your mind. No one's going to unconvince them. But why did nobody else get them? And everybody else got the shepherds. Because the messengers and perfections are part of the plan. Because the main thing standing in the way for many people to receive this announcement of peace for the first time, or you and me to live it out more fully, is your pride. That's why. God, send me an angel and I'll believe it. I'm not going to send you an angel. Because it's not about the messenger. It's about the message. And this peace requires humility. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
you have to come to a place and realize there's nothing you can do to, to pay God, to earn this peace. It's a gift. It's a gift. And you have to lay everything else down, including your pride. And if God sends you a donkey, if God sends you a shepherd, if God sends you your crazy uncle with the message, it doesn't matter. They got the angel. Everybody else got the shepherd. There's this guy I've met recently, homeless guy. Uh, not too far, I see these guys uh, around the corners uh, uh, near my house, uh, not too far from my house. And this guy I've only known for probably, I don't know, six months or so. And in the dozen times we've had a brief word, it's very transactional. You see, you know, it's right at the corner, there's a light. I, I know his name is John. You know, how you doing? Here's a hamburger, maybe a $10 bill. That's happened a dozen times. That's our whole relationship until a week or so ago. And I saw him there. I thought, okay, you know, I don't always do it. And in the two minutes I went, maybe five minutes to go through the drive-thru and get the hamburger, I come back, he's gone. And I said, oh, that's a bummer, you know. But then I see him with his pushing his little kind of a wheelchair up along the side of the road. Perfect. He, you know, he's done. So I drove up, got ahead of him, pulled on the curb so I wasn't instructing traffic, and then we came up, and because I, because I was up on the curb and he was not standing at the corner of a lot where there was a light, we actually had a conversation. I mean, the first time. Everything else very, very short and sweet. And I learned in that conversation, 15 minutes, maybe 20, a number of things. Number one, he's not a homeless guy. He actually has an apartment, lives on Union Street downtown. And the reason he's doing this is about a handful, he's probably my age, about a handful of years ago, he was driving, told me the local company he worked for for, for, for many years. Uh, uh, his career, he was, a, he was a driver for this company, but his knee, hurt his knee, it was compromised, he needs a knee replacement, and eventually got to a place where he couldn't do it anymore. Just kind of gave up. But then all of a sudden I said, gee, that's so, you know, I was kind of sad asking him a question, but he goes, but two days after Christmas, I'm getting a knee replacement. I said, oh, that's wonderful. Like, what gives? Why did you decide to do that after all these years? And he said, well, about six years ago, he said someone in his family, a member of his family, had a baby and couldn't take care of it. In, an, in so many words, he said, they, they came over my house and just sort of dropped it with me, right? This single 50-year-old guy, whatever he was, okay? And at first, I thought, this is crazy. I can't do this. This is nuts. I can't. What, 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 what am I going to do with this little baby? But he said he, he asked his mother if she would help him. He kind of took it on. And then all of a sudden, he began to tell me about the kid does this and the kid, it's been six years. He does that and he's doing this. And he said, in so many words, the reason I'm getting my knee fixed is because I can't wait to do this and do that and do, I mean, this kid had become his purpose for living. He was so enthusiastic, so excited, so much joy, I thought to myself, I wonder if he might say a prayer for me right now. You know, that's kind of the feeling I had. Here's the point. The arrival of the Son of God, this piece requires humility. The arrival of the Son of God in this passage is a study in how God does something and how we might do something. It comes in a humble package because humility is required to receive it. If you're not a Christian and you've been resisting, you have to humble yourself. 
And if you are a Christian who's heard this message a hundred times, but the peace of God has not really changed your life, it's not really borne itself down inside the deepest part of who you are, it's because your pride is standing in the way. The preacher's boring. Get over it. That's not the point. You're missing the point. The verse, this piece requires humility. Finally, this You must make this peace your own. Verse 19. There's a but here. Everyone who heard this message were amazed. Doesn't say just in other words. Wouldn't they, even though it's just the shepherds, and these people don't have the greatest respect in this culture, shepherds, you know, the the working, the journeymen, the night shift, didn't go to college kind of people. But think about it. What they had just seen was so incredibly amazing. Oh my goodness, the sky lit up. First there's this one angel, then the heavenly host. I mean, who they, they must have had such great conviction. They're, they're, what they might have said, how they looked to their friends, to their relatives, you had to be amazed by what they said. Guys, you've never seen anything like it. They were amazed, but then there's a but. But Mary. And it makes me think if there's a but here saying, listen, although these people were amazed, who knows where they were three months, six months, four years later? Did their lives change? Sometimes we're amazed for a time, but then we move on. But Mary treasured up all these things, that is the message of the angels and the shepherds, and pondered them in her heart. We have a joke with one of my sisters. She says a lot, you know, in conversation to a couple close people in her life, starting with her husband, then me, you know, maybe a few others. Just, you know, someone's talking or she's talking, and she says, You're not listening. You got one of those people in your life? You're not listening. Now, we, it's, it's happened so much that now we kind of get it. And we go, Yes, we are. You said this, you said that, you said this, you said that. Ha ha, we're listening. And she says, but of course she doesn't mean you're not listening. She means you're not really taking things to heart. Say, They were amazed, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them into her heart. I mean, she took them into her heart. She took them into her mind. She was not only concerned with the message, the announcement, but listen, the implications of the message. That's what it means to treasure these things and ponder them. What does it mean that there is peace with God? Peace has been made with God for me. Okay? She didn't just consider the message. She considered the implications of it. How do you do that? She treasured it. She pondered it. And to treasure and ponder this peace is to ask yourself a couple important questions, which is what I want to leave with you this morning, to treasure and ponder this peace. Now, if you're a non-Christian in this room or listening to me, eh, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The announcement of this peace, it's not, it's not the end of war. It's not the end of conflict. That's called the second advent. It's another sermon. Okay, The second time Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a baby. And he is going to make the end of all conflict, the end of all hostility. All things will be put to rights at the second coming. The the end of conflict, the end of the curse of sin, those things are advent number two. 
okay? But Advent number one is about the human heart. And if you have never experienced the peace, you need to, you need to humble yourselves, surrender your pride, and realize whoever the messenger is, whatever he or she looks like, is not the point. It's the message that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sin. And you humbly receive it. But for you and me who are Christians, as we're rehearing this message, peace, we need to think about how we're receiving this well. Peace, humility is required for you and me as well. So a couple of questions. Number one, how might my life be different if I believed this good news to the bottom of my heart? That's what Mary. But everyone was amazed. Right? But Mary, see, she took the long-term view. She treasured these things. She pondered these things. What does this mean? What what are the implications of this piece? She treasured them in her heart. Second question. What steps or habits might I need to take or adopt Okay. So this good news has a deeper impact on my life. So that it's more than a nice sermon on the Sunday before Christmas. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace with God to those on whom his favor rests. If you know Jesus Christ is your savior, it's the end of alienation. It's the end of hostility. And God is not, doesn't need to be a scary person anymore if he has been to you because of your sin or my sin. He's a loving Savior who parachuted into this world to bear the consequences, the judgment of your sin so that you could have peace with God. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, I thank you for this time, for this day. I pray for all of us as we just take a few minutes, maybe, today to consider not only the facts of this gospel message, not only the facts of the good news, but, Lord, the implications of them in our own lives. Help us, wherever we are today in in, in this room listening to me today, to consider to ponder the deeper meaning of the peace with God that was made because this baby became a sacrificial savior who gave his life for me, for us, for each one of us. Help us, Lord, to drink deeply, to to, um, consider the implications, to... um, Mine your words that this truth, this peace, this good news might be um, more central to our hearts, that it might permeate our hearts and influence our lives, Lord, more fully this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a couple quick things before I send you out.
It is, you may have heard this in the beginning, week of Christmas. If you didn't do your shopping, oh well, okay, no. A couple quick things. Christmas Eve services. Christmas Eve Eve. All this is on our website. The 23rd, one service, 7 o'clock. Why do we do that? It's an opportunity for people who have things to do on Christmas Eve, okay? That may be your friends who aren't churchgoers. 23rd. On the 24th, Christmas Eve, 2.30 and 4 o'clock. All the details, you know, of child care, et cetera, whatever, is on the website. I won't uh, repeat them. The 25th, no services, okay? The 24th is our weekend services. Enjoy your time with your family. On the 1st, online service only, but it'll be a very important service about the Word of God, speaking of habits, about how we can make the Word of God a habit, a priority, a greater habit, a greater priority, and how we can help you do that January the 1st. Amen? Amen. See you in a few days. Hope you bring a friend. Be a shepherd. Invite a friend to church on Christmas Eve.